You're listening to The Philip Jordan Show. What's well, everybody? Welcome into the Philip Jordan Show on this Wednesday. I am your host, Philip Jordan, in studio host and producer of the Football on 96.9, the legend and the Auburn writer, Flash Word of college football. Hope everybody had a great Christmas. I know I did. I'll hung out with a lot of a lot of families, saw some friends, great church service on Sunday, and also, of course, watch the football. Uh, as as per usual, uh with me football's on, you know, I am sure to watch it and sure to talk about it when I get behind a microphone. On today's show, we'll be flying solo. No guests today, but we've got a lot of topics, a lot of different things we're going to touch on in about 20 to 30 minutes here on the show. We'll look back at some of the bowl action on Saturday. I will give my thoughts on the Birmingham Bowl. I covered that for last word on college football. We'll also look at some headlines around the SEC. Look ahead to the Texas Bowl matchup on Wednesday night between Texas A&M Oklahoma State. I will be taking some of your questions. I went to Facebook and X and looked for some responses, some questions from you to talk about here on the show. Give my thoughts on that. And also, a little NFL talk here at the end. AFC and the NFC South coming down to the wire the final two weeks. It should be a lot of fun. You can check out the Philip Jordan Show podcast over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review, and I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight-up hater. You can email me at sports.philipjordan at gmail.com. All right, let's kick things off by talking about the Birmingham Bowl that was played on Saturday where Troy lost 17-10. to Real quickly, before we jump into all that, didn't meant to say this in open, but it didn't. But I do appreciate anybody that checked out the Monday Best of Edition with Coach Al Borges. That was an interview I did like a year and a half ago, really almost two years when you look at it. But it was a great conversation. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you checked out the link and got the book. So, anyways, if you haven't checked that out, so on Monday's episode, just go and check it out. But anyways, Troy losing the Birmingham Bowl to Duke 17-10. I wrote the story up for last word on college football on Saturday. It was a tough one. It was a tough one to watch for Troy. You could tell Gunnar Watson was affected by being sick. Of course, they talked about opening the broadcast. There was a few players from Troy that got hit with basically a stomach bug. Gunnar Watson got hit basically 36, 48 hours before the game. You could tell he was off. I mean, you look at his numbers, they don't look too bad. 21 to 36, 230 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. Of course, that interception was on the final play for Troy on offense when they were trying to go down the field and tie the game up. He got pressure, arm was hit, intercepted, and Duke was able to win the game. Duke held Kamani Vidal to 79 yards, but I just felt like Troy was just off. And I don't really think it's because John Summerall wasn't there. I just think there was a lot of adversity for the team this weekend. When your quarterback's not feeling well, he's probably not thinking like he normally would think. Like, you know, the mind is not clicking where it needs to click. And they couldn't go to the backup because he had it too. I think Gunnar Watson had a tough, gutsy performance. But you could also tell, especially there in the first half, he was not well. Now, Troy opened the game up with a punt. But two plays later, quarterback for Duke, Grayson Loftus, he was sacked by T.J. Jackson, and Del Pettis recovered. 
it looked like Troy had a big momentum here. It looked like they were about to score when Kamani Vidal scored a touchdown, but they got taken away due to a holding penalty. And then Scott Taylor and Renfro could not make the 47-yard field goal. And it felt like for Troy, that was also a theme of the game. Uh, three turnover on downs. There was a lot of times that they would get the midfield, get a little bit past that, but they weren't quite a field goal range. And they would a mistake would happen, or you just you know just something that Troy has not done all year that would happen, and then it would set them back. And then there was a couple drives like early in the drive they'd be running the ball, getting it going with Kamani Vidal, but then they get away from it and they throw the ball like four or five times in a row. Then again they'd have to punt or turn over down. So I think there was some unevenness there with Troy too in the way they were kind of attacking offensively. But you got to give credit to Duke. They won the game. Their quarterback Grayson Loftus wasn't. I won't say it was great, but he was he was solid, and we'll see what happens with him because of Malik Murphy from Texas is transferring in to Duke. But uh, Loftus was 19-29 for 100, 183 yards. He threw to one interception. They kind of gave Troy some life there toward uh, midway, you know, there in the fourth quarter. As a team, they rushed for 147 yards, pretty much a three-headed monster there. So Duke did well. They did well def- defensively. Uh, Look, as much as I want to hammer home that Gunnar Watson wasn't himself, you can also need to give credit to Duke defense. And they won the game to get to 7-5. Troy drops to 11-3. We'll see what happens with uh, Jared Parker. But uh, Troy has got a good foundation. Uh, this thing is not broken like it may have been a few years ago after Chip Lindsay has left and Johnson Rock come in. But still, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow for Troy, uh, especially with how the season had gone for you. But – I just kind of have to wonder if Gunnar Watson was healthy. If he hadn't got the stomach illness or was sick, you would gotta wonder how that game would have went. Then uh, just real quick touch on this, because uh, mainly because we did talk to JT Crabtree, radio voice of South Alabama last week. They blew out Eastern Michigan 59-10. This game was never, never in doubt. It was never a game. Uh, this is the first ever bowl win for South Alabama. They improved to 7-5. Obviously, probably a disappointing year for South Alabama. This was a team coming in. You thought maybe they, if they could have beat Tulane in the opener, they could have got to the top 25. Carter Bradley, quarterback coming back, Damian Webb. All the receivers had coming back defense. They had most of their starters from last year, a 10-win team, come back. So you figure, okay, this would be a team that competes with Troy for the Sunbelt title. Didn't happen. Six and six regular season. They end the year at seven and six. They but they dominated here. Six hundred twenty seven yards for them to only hundred and fifty yards for Eastern Michigan. Carter Bradley did not play in this game. That was one of the big questions I had last week talking to JT Crabtree. But other quarterbacks, Gio Lopez, he was fourteen and nineteen for one ninety two, three touchdowns. He also had eighty eight yards on the ground. Desmond Charter was 9-17 for 115 yards. One touchdown, one interception, and 27 on the ground. He had a rush touchdown as well. South Alabama overall had 320 yards rushing. And then also uh, Eastern Michigan only, like I said, only 150 yards, 73 passing, 77 rushing, which, of course, their quarterback throughout the season was not there. He's gone from the team. So that is kind of like where it was at, like a dominating win by South Alabama. They were playing this game at home, even though they were the road team in the 68 Ventures Bowl game. But South Alabama, comfortable, you're at home, and had a dominant victory. Sadly, though, this game also had a lot of attention after it because of what happened when defensive back Corey Hernandez for Eastern Michigan basically sucker punched Jamarian Burke from behind. A brawl ensued. There was booze. It just 
the the alma mater was playing for South Alabama, and it really t- took away from a really really good moment there in the game. Talk about that incident. The vice president and director of athletics there at Eastern Michigan, Scott Weatherby, had this to say. And this is up on their social media. We strongly condemn the actions of some of the student athletes on the EMU football team in the ugly incident that took place following last night's 68 Ventures Bowl. We are deeply upset and embarrassed by what happened. Their conduct does not reflect the great pride and high standards we place on the game and our program. Any expectations for good sportsmanship and exemplary conduct of student athletes on and off the field. What happened was completely unacceptable. We apologize to the Eastern Michigan University community and to the South Alabama team and their fans. I have been in contact with South Alabama Director of Athletics Joe Erdman to express our sincere apologies, and Coach Creighton has done the same with Coach Kane Womack. We are committed to sharing information and video to fully understand all that occurred. As Coach Creighton stated in the post-game press conference, there is absolutely no place for this kind of incident in the Eastern Michigan University football program. University President James Smith and I have been in contact with Mid-American Conference Commissioner Dr. John Steinbrecher, and we are committed to working jointly to investigate the incident in accordance with the institutional and conference policies. We are continuing to review the situation and the conduct of student athletes involved and will take appropriate action as more information is gathered. And, and look, I, I'm not going to spend too much more time on this, but I, I will say this, just watching the video and 59-10 game. and Football's emotion. You just got blown out, embarrassed, really. It wasn't, wasn't a good game for Eastern Michigan all the way around, including, and especially with this happening. I kind of wonder, was there something – because he went for a beeline – for that one player on South Alabama. So I just wonder, was there something said between the two during the game? That's just that's just my thought. And look, you're highly emotional. You just got blown out. Nothing really went your way in the game. So, I don't know. Well, I mean, perhaps we'll find out at some point later on. Uh, the Sun Belt, they're 4-7 in bowl games. Of course, um, we're going to have you Sun Belt. Look, this is the conference Troy is in. Now, Texas State and Rice are playing as I am recording this podcast on Tuesday evening. So, and, uh, I might talk about that a little bit uh, later in the week because T.J. Finley, former Auburn quarterback, played for Texas State. But the rest of the Sun Belt on Saturday, Northern Illinois, kind of controversial ending with Arkansas State, the Camellia Bowl. They won that one 21-19. That drops Arkansas State to 6-7. and seven. Air Force defeated James Madison 31-21. So, this kind of puts a damper on James Madison's season, dropping to 11-2. Georgia State beat Utah State 45-22 to for 7-6 season. And Coastal Carolina defeated San Jose State in the Hawaii Bowl 24-14 to go to 8-5 on the year. So that puts the Sun Belt at 4-7 in bowl season. 96.9 The Legend is your connection to classic country legend. But Digio Strategies has other options too. News Talk 103.9 is your source for America's top news and entertainment shows like Rick and Bubba in the morning, Glenn Beck from 9 till 11 a.m. and Clay Travis and Buck Sexton middays from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. Sean Hannity, Lars Larson, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh and others fill your day with the latest news and views from America's top conservative voices. America 
at night and Coast to Coast AM keep you company and connected throughout the night. Plus, Fox News, the Alabama Radio Network, and Wiregrass Daily News keep you informed with national, international, state, and local news. And with more musical choices like all the hits, 106.7 KMX, Today's Country 95.5 WTVY, and Music 107.7 Digio Strategies gives you more choices and more variety. Listen on air, online, and on our apps. 96.9 The Legend is just the beginning. All right, now let's go around the SEC and look at some news and notes that's happened uh, over the last couple of days. Uh, running back from Florida, Trevor Etienne, is now going to head to Georgia after entering the transfer portal. Combined over the last two seasons, he has ran for 1,472 yards and 14 touchdowns with a 5.9 average. He has two years of eligibility left. He was the number one portal running back uh, there for this year in the transfer portal. Uh, Georgia has added also offensively wide receiver London Humphreys from Vanderbilt and wide receiver Colby Young from Miami and defensive lineman Xavier McLeod from South Carolina. And that's the thing, too, the portal now. You're seeing this. It used to be, okay, you transferred, you were going to another conference, but now it's players, good players, are going into the portal. They're transferring from one SEC team to another. But uh, and I was reading some quotes over at, uh, at Dog Nation. Uh, Kirby Smart talked about how it's like grocery shopping, but you don't go grocery shopping without knowing what you already have, and you add to it. And I think that's a proper way of using a portal, but we're going to talk about another team in just a few moments that's kind of using it a little bit differently. Also, uh, per Dog Nation, Georgia expects Kendall Milton and Dejon Edwards to go to the NFL. So, obviously, Georgia has added running backs through recruiting, but now you go and add one in the transfer portal. And Trevor Etienne, who's a really good running back, he really has some good games there for Florida, really talented player, one of their better players. So, that's a big, big pickup for the Georgia Bulldogs. Now, we're going to jump to another team. This is Ole Miss. Former five-star defensive tackle Walter Nolan is transferring to Ole Miss. Six-foot-four, 290-pound sophomore, played his past two seasons with Texas A&M. He was the number one rated prospect in the transfer portal. This past season, he had 37 tackles, eight-and-a-half tackles for loss, and four sacks. You look at this now. This is a rebuilt Ole Miss defense. They have added Tennessee edge rusher Tyler Barron, Mississippi State cornerback to Cameron Richardson, Tennessee safety to Marion McLeod, Oklahoma safety Key Lawrence, Arkansas linebacker Chris Paul Jr., Illinois cornerback Tavion Nicholson, and Indiana safety Lewis Moore. They have the number one rated transfer portal class, does Ole Miss. And for South Carolina, they also, excuse me, they also added South Carolina wide receiver juice well so they've added on offense jackson darts coming back next year it seems everything's pointing that duration Ole miss is going to be loaded Ole miss is going to have a really 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 good football team next year and if i was just kind of looking at it for next year the teams i could see because we're going into the 12 team playoff next year who are some sec teams when i look at it right now next season you could talk about the playoff obviously alabama i would go georgia i'd go Ole miss I think Kentucky might can make a push for it as well. Texas obviously is going to be one too, them coming in at Oklahoma. So there's going to be plenty of teams in the SEC, but Ole Miss is going to be a very dangerous team uh, next year in the SEC. And they're going for their 11th win when they play Penn State in their bowl game. Uh, so coaching news, offensive coordinator Mike Denbrock from LSU. He leads for Notre Dame going back home. He's from that way. I got a, a lot of questions here, but you look at Mike Denbrock this past year, LSU was the best offense in the SEC. One of the best offenses in college football, if not the best. 
547.8 yards per game. Of course, the year that Jake Daniels had, throwing for 3,812 yards, 40 touchdowns, four interceptions, 72%. And then rushing for over 1,000 yards, 10 touchdowns. I believe it's the second leading rusher in the SEC. And it just – the development of Jaden Daniels just from his first start at LSU last year when they played them in New Orleans, uh, played Florida State in New Orleans. To me, when I saw him play the first half of last season, I looked at the quarterback that he was one read and run. That was his instinct. That's what he was going to do. But he really developed last year as a passer and he got more confident. He saw it in the spring and now he did it this year and just the ability. Obviously, having Two future NFL wide receivers. That does help. But still, big, big, big improvement from Jaden Daniels, what he did there at LSU at quarterback. And big get for Marcus Freeman. Let's see what he can do with Riley Leonard at quarterback. Uh, of course, with LSU, Mike Denbrock, he's replacing Jared Parker, who's now Troy, which Riley Leonard committed to when Parker was OC, but now he's getting – Mike Denbrock, we saw what he did with Jaden Daniels. Now, Riley Leonard's a good athlete. He really is. I mean, obviously not the athlete that Jaden Daniels is. But still, his running ability. And how is this going to change uh, Notre Dame? Because Notre Dame can kind of be, I'll admit it, kind of boring offensively. But now with him coming in and what he's done in his past too as well. But obviously, the most recent thing is with Jaden Daniels. So, we'll see. It should be interesting. Big get for Marcus Freeman. What does it mean about Brian Kelly? Is this a indictment on him? Or is this also, hey, guys from that way, this more be more of a dream situation for him going back to Notre Dame. So, I don't know. But it's kind of interesting, too, as well. What does LSU do going forward at offensive coordinator? Uh, SEC Bowls on Wednesday night, you will have te- the Texas Bowl between Texas A&M and number 20, Oklahoma State. Uh, A&M is 75 this year. Oklahoma State 94, 7 o'clock. The over-under is 54.5. Oklahoma State's a 2.5 point favorite. And I would just say, I would probably, I'm probably going to lean Oklahoma State in this one just because Texas A&M coaching change and also the whole the players coming and going and stuff like that. I, I, I'd just go with Oklahoma State to take this one. Now I'm going to jump into some questions uh, you guys delivered me because we were, we were supposed to have a guest on the show today. I'm not going to say their name. I'm not going to throw them under the bus or anything like that. Stuff happens. You couldn't get it to work. But so I said, all right, for content, let's go to you guys. Let's go to the people I know on social media and see what you had in mind for stuff I could talk about. Dalton Mathis asks, realistic expectations for OU and Tennessee, Texas next year. Realistic expectation. I think it's it's different for both. I do. I think for Oklahoma, especially now, okay, you lose your quarterback, Dylan Gabriel. You're coming in, and you know last year didn't go great. You won ten games this year, but you're coming into the SEC. So when you look at the the expectation side of things, I think for Oklahoma, winning nine or ten games as possible. That's where you need to go. And then you do that, you're in a position to make the playoff, or you're just right on the outside looking in. Let's just look at the Oklahoma schedule. It opened with Temple next year, and then you have Houston. Both those are home games. And you play Tulane as well. And you got in Tennessee comes here. Well, that, that'll be the big one 
how you do against Tennessee. But the first three, I say you should win. You should be 3-0. You got Tennessee, then you go to Auburn. We'll see how proved Auburn is. Then you have the Texas game, which is still going to be played in Dallas. You've got South Carolina, Ole Miss, which I just talked about. That's going to be a really good team. Maine at Missouri, Alabama at LSU to close out the year. So when we look at that, where are the wins? Where are the, You know for sure those are some wins. Temple, Houston, and Tulane, you should win that one. South Carolina put four, Maine at five. So that's five wins. All right, so that's locked in. Now, who are some teams I think Oklahoma can beat? I think they can beat Tennessee. They can beat Auburn. So that's seven. Texas, that's a toss-up game, just the, the rivalry in it of itself. At Ole Miss, is going to be tough. Missouri, you're probably equal footing with them. So I'm looking probably nine wins. I think that should be your expectations at Oklahoma for year one because they're still trying to build stuff there with Brent Venables. Now, on the Texas side of things, look, Quinn Ewers is coming back. We know that. And what Steve Sarkeesian has built with this Texas team and this year getting to the college football playoff. And I really believe when Nick Saban retires, which is the transition has been there. Yes, I know Alabama beat Georgia this year. You don't have to remind me. I'll watch the game. I know who won. But I will say this. I do believe with Georgia and Texas, those are the two teams that could take over the conference when Nick Saban retires, like the dominant teams. What Kirby Smart's got building there, no one recruiting class. We just talked about some of the transfer guys he's got coming in. What Texas is doing in recruiting right now, Look, nobody has more money and resources than Texas. And in the NIL era that we are in now, that is huge. And just looking at the 2024 Texas schedule for next year. Now they open Colorado State. Now they go to Michigan week two. That's going to be a huge week two matchup. Texas San Antonio, Louisiana Monroe, Mississippi State. So four of the five week, first five games, you should win. Then you're off. Then you play Oklahoma. At this moment, do I think Texas is better Oklahoma? Yes. Then you host Georgia. You have Vanderbilt. You have Florida. You have Arkansas. You have Kentucky at A&M. I look at Texas as a 10-11 wins should be the expectation. And if you get that many wins with this team, you should be in the college football playoff next year. As again, as we head into the 12-team playoff. Uh, next up, uh, Gene McCraney, my Aunt Gene. Uh, the other teams leaving the ACC, where will they go? Okay, of course, so the big thing is we all know Florida State wants to leave the ACC. Right. That's without a doubt. Uh, we'll see where that whole lawsuit, the the bickering, we'll see where that goes. Teams I could see leaving the ACC. And look, I, I, I'm, I don't have inside information. This is just me speculating what I think could happen. So you look at Florida State. And let's just go and let's answer the second part of the question for Florida State. I don't think Florida State goes to the SEC because, and this really goes into the conversation with Georgia Tech, Clemson, and Florida State. They do not bring anything to the SEC because they already have teams in those states. You have Georgia, you have South Carolina, you have Florida. Because usually when you add teams, you're trying to get into a market. Well, the SEC's already in those markets. So to me, I think Georgia Tech's stuck in the ACC. I don't think they'd leave. But I look at Clemson and Florida State, they're probably their best bet is the Big Ten. Whoever you never know, the SEC could change. I mean, those are two brands, so that is the side of that. But if we were talking about getting into a market for TV purposes, they don't bring that much. I think 
North Carolina is one to watch. And would Duke follow North Carolina? Or would they be a package deal? Again, the SEC would look at it and say, we just want to get one of you just to get into the state. Is it worth having both? But then again, if you have Duke and North Carolina, I know all this is all this is predicated off of football. I know that. But the basketball side of things, too, that uh, that would be big money. So that's kind of like I see some of those teams going there. Andrew McCleary, uh, what should Auburn see the biggest growth under freeze for year two? So, and we're going into this week, and we'll, we'll talk later. And for people to know, Matt Lowe, Field of Media, he'll be joining me later in the week. We're going to preview the college football playoff games, but we'll probably get into these uh, weekend bowl games in the SEC. But what will be growth for Auburn under freeze in year two? Well, obviously you're 6-6 six and six now. You hope to win this bowl game and go to 7-6. and six. I think a lot of Auburn fans are really excited about that number seven recruiting ranking, the receivers coming in. Maybe Ryan Williams would be another one they can bring in. And I also know a lot of Auburn fans probably not happy that Peyton Thorne's coming back to be your starter quarterback. But, look, I get it. He's kind of still your stopgap for Walker White when he's ready, and they really are excited about Walker White. But looking at it, what is growth? Obviously, I think Auburn, if they could win, get to eight or nine wins. And you can show, okay, we're, we're, we're taking these steps. And then in 2025, that's the year we can maybe really take that leap, contend for the SEC title, potentially get into the college football playoff. But I want to see the team be more consistent. That's that's going to be a key thing for me. Defensively, honestly, if they stay where they're at, defensively, I think they're good. Just add depth. That's the problem with Auburn's defense this past year. It wasn't the starting 11, just they didn't have a lot of depth behind those guys. But consistently off, consistency on offense, I think you'll have that with Peyton Thorne. Now, in year two, look, I am not expecting this guy to lead Auburn to a national championship, but also say he's got more talent at receiver around him. And look, you say all these are freshmen, and four, maybe five of them. My thing is Auburn just needs two of them to be really good. rest of them be just good. And there you got something. So, And then the running back room. They've got running backs on this team. So Auburn, I think Auburn's headed in a very, very good direction. We'll just see how that goes with Peyton Thorne, if he can kind of where his development is. Because remember, he wasn't with Auburn during the spring. We need to remember that. He was not with Auburn during the spring. So, And then the whole rotate with him, Robbie Ashford, with Robbie Ashford gone, you got to worry about that. All right, last question. Most oh, this is from Rhett Baxley. Most manageable and unmanageable SEC schedules for 2024. So, Rhett, I'm going to change your question up a little bit. Manageable and unmanageable. It depends on what you think is manageable and where you are. Honestly, you know, Georgia and Vanderbilt are two different questions. But Missouri has a very manageable schedule. Open with Murray State, Buffalo, Boston College, Vandy, then you're off so you should be 4-0 to start you go to texas a&m that team's rebuilding if eli Drinkwitz can keep what he's got going from this past year into next year i think they're better than a&m and then you play at umass so just 6-0 so then auburn comes to missouri you should be 6-0 in my opinion at that moment then you got at bama you're off oklahoma then you close it out with south carolina mississippi state and arkansas so you're looking at, i think this team can win nine ten games once again so that's why i say missouri is very manageable if you get to 10 wins in the sec you're in the conversation for the college football playoff now for georgia i think this is i don't think it's unmanageable for georgia per se but i'm gonna go with tough i just wanted to, to kind of change that part of it the toughest schedule is georgia compared just what they've had in the past 
and what they're going into. They have some losses. They're coming off where they were hoping to win three in a row. Obviously not happening. Fact is, they open Clemson. And if you think Clemson's going to be an 8-4 team again next year, you don't know Dabo Swinney. And then you do have Tennessee Tech and at Kentucky. Kentucky has made some big moves here. I think Kentucky's going to be a much more improved team next year. Then you're off. And then you're at Alabama. And then you have Auburn. Mississippi State. Then you're at Texas. You're off. Florida rivalry game. Then you go to Ole Miss. Tennessee. UMass. Georgia. I mean, we look at Georgia. Clemson. At Kentucky. At Alabama. At Texas. At Ole Miss. That is a tough schedule. A lot tougher than what Georgia has had over previous seasons. So they have to – they're not going to be able to coast through the season. But also, we got to remember for Georgia, they're going to be a little bit more motivated this year than they were last because they're not defending champions. That complacency won't be there that was there this past year, which I think Georgia showed that from time to time. All right, real quickly, not going to spend – a lot of time because we're nearing the time. I did want this thing to go 30, 40 minutes. It's kind of in a 30-minute range. The AFC and the NFC South in the NFL. Jacksonville, Indianapolis, and Houston in the AFC South are all 8-7. and seven. And Jacksonville is a team that is heading in the very wrong direction. Now, the Houston Texans, this was their second straight game playing without C.J. Stroud. They hope they can get him back. The Colts, the fact that they're in this position how bad they were last year. Anthony Richardson gets hurt early in the year. You're going with Gardner Minshew, which I think Gardner Minshew you can put up as the best quarterback and backup quarterback. Excuse me. Ooh, you know, that was a slip. The best backup quarterback in the NFL. All three of these teams are eight and seven. I feel like Jacksonville sliding. I know Trevor Lawrence is banged up. I also want to say this. Is it okay that we start questioning whether Trevor Lawrence is really this generational talent we thought he was going to be? He has moments where we see it, but then we don't see it. And this is year three, which I know a lot of people just want to like give him a mulligan for year one because of Urban Meyer. But, man, uh, that was not pretty. That was not pretty against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday. The Battle of Florida, I was really looking for two teams, playoff teams, battling. But, man, I I, I don't know. I, I look at this division, it's like Jacksonville's – should be ahead. They were eight and three. We were talking about this team at that point when they were eight and three. This is one of the, could this be one of the better teams in the AFC? Could this team get home field advantage? Now they're just trying to fight to get the playoffs. Then the NFC South, Atlanta, Tyler Heineke. This is what happens when Atlanta gets it to their playmakers. Good job, Arthur Smith. New Orleans, man, I, I watched that game on Thursday night with them playing around. And by the way, the Rams, dangerous team. They're at six right now, but that is a team playing really well. But Looking at the Saints, I mean, they moved the ball in that game on Thursday night against the Rams. Just they kept, kept shooting themselves in the foot. Twice turnover on downs in Rams territory. Uh, Derek Carr, he was he was solid in the game. Not great. Um, he had good numbers. But I'll just say this, Ed. They just blew opportunities. The running game was not there. They gave up 458 yards. This was one of the better defenses with New Orleans. This was a team everybody had pegged to win this division when the year started. Uh, Atlanta, we'll see. We'll see what happens this week. Um, New Orleans and Tampa do play this week. Uh, Tampa's 8-7, and seven, win four in a row. Baker Mayfield's playing great. He had a great game at Lambeau. One of the better performances you're going to see 
on the road at Green Bay. And then this past week against Jacksonville, it was great. Him and Mike Evans are really working together well. So that team is playing really well right now. It's kind of like the team that's leading the NFC South has got four wins in a row. They're playing great ball. They're really playing at the, great at the right time. Jacksonville's falling apart. So we'll see how this shakes out with two more weeks to go in NFL season. I'll say this, the the Ravens are the best team in the league, but the team they nobody probably wants to mess with right now may be Buffalo because I know they struggled with the Chargers on Saturday night, but overall they're playing much better. The Kansas City Chiefs talking about the team going observations. They're not playing that great right now. Who knows? Are the distractions with Chiefs? I think one is they're just not explosive as it used to be. So that's what's giving the problems. The Eagles getting a win over the Giants. The 49ers kind of coming down to earth a little bit with their loss there to the Ravens. I don't think the Lions are a – I feel like still it's going to come down to 49ers and Eagles in the NFC. But we got a big game on Saturday night between the Cowboys and the Lions. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Anyways, that's going to do it for this solo edition of the Philip Jordan Show. Be back later in the week. Matt Lowe will be joining me as we'll preview the college football playoffs. Remember, you can follow me on social media at PJordanSEC. The podcast is available over at Wiregrass Daily News or wherever you get your podcast in front of Apple Podcasts. Please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review. I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight-up hater. Remember, you can check out all my written work over at Last Word on College Football. You can email me at sports.philipjordan at gmail.com. Hope everybody has a great Wednesday. Talk to you guys later in the week. Bye-bye.